Whether we'd admit it or not, each one of us longs for relationship. We want people to know who we are. It's because we were created by such an intensely relational God. Yet we often find ways to isolate ourselves, to push ourselves away from the very thing that God created us for, community. pray. God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this opportunity that we have uh, to gather together, Father, and to uh, share life with one another, God, and to, to seek after you. God, I pray now that you would free us from distraction. pray you'd even free us from being tired, God, and uh, allow us to, to listen closely and, and Move our hearts and our spirits and our ears towards what it is you have to say to us this morning, God. Lord, my my prayer for myself and and for those in this room as well, God, is that the familiarity with the subject matter that you want to speak to us about this morning, that you would uh, cause us to lay aside what we think we know, God, and instead uh, teach us something about how to live in community this morning. I thank you so much for Jesus and the picture that he, he gave to us of himself living life in community, serving, laying down his life, considering others more important than himself. I pray that you would allow that to, to guide our thoughts and even our actions as we leave this morning. Thank you so much for, for him. It's in his perfect name. Amen. I want to take just a, a bit of time this morning to kind of reset. I feel like we've been away from the Gospel in Life series for a while, um, although it's only been a week, but uh, a lot has happened in, in that time. Uh, for me, life has been just kind of a whirlwind for like the last three weeks. Uh, so I want to reset what it is that we're talking about. Why are we here in this series called the Gospel in Life? And it ultimately, it is because we want to learn what it means to apply the Gospel into every single aspect of our lives. Um, it has to change everything about our lives. And the, the, the phrase, the, the tagline to the series, uh, direct your attention up there to, to that thing, the gospel in life. Um, you see the L in gospel and the L in life, is they look like brackets surrounding this N. So an N is the gospel that's in our lives. And so we need to be paying very careful attention to to what we're doing here and why we're here doing this. It's not just some series. This is us trying to learn how the gospel applies in life. And then the tagline there, grace changes everything. So if we really understand what grace is and the gift that it is to our lives, it has to change every single thing about every single thing in our lives. Uh, So most of you know that uh, about three weeks ago, uh, I don't even know. I, I think it was three weeks ago that a tornado hit my house. Uh, a tree actually hit my house. A tornado hit a tree. And the tree hit my house and basically destroyed everything on the inside of my house. And the thing that, that is interesting about it, well, interesting might be a, a bad choice of words. The thing about it is that tornado hits the tree and this tree splits. Half of it goes on to my neighbor's house and half of it goes on to my house and it comes bare, just barreling down onto my roof and 
hits the wall, and, and there were a couple of support walls that, where it hit, so it didn't come all the way through. But it did come into the, through the roof and, and through the ceiling. And there are a, a couple of different factors that are in play. At the same time, the tornado is actually there. So the tree and the tornado kind of hit just milliseconds apart from each other. And the pressure of the wind that was accompanying this tornado and the, the sheer force of the winds and the pressure of the winds and the high pressures and low pressures. We could get Ryan up here to explain to us what high pressures, low pressures, and all that stuff is about. But ultimately, there was a lot of pressure of the winds and the atmosphere that was going on, which forced my attic has insulation in it, the blown-in kind, so it's just loose insulation. It's not the roll-out, like, Pink Panther pink stuff. It's the, the blow-in stuff. And so the force of the tree, combined with the pressure of the wind, combined with the, the velocity of the wind, spewed this, this insulation all over my house. Even into, like, closed drawers and closed closets. You would, like, complete what you would think was, was airtight, a, a drawer pushed closed. You pull it out, and, like, there's insulation all over my socks and all over my 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 basketball shorts and all that stuff. There's, it's, it's just everywhere. It gets into every nook of our house. And then the rain continues for like three or four days, and there's holes in my roof, holes in my ceiling, and it's dripping now through the light fixtures in the, in the ceiling. And, and there's just one spot right near where the tree actually hit where there's a, a recessed can light, and, and the water's just like, like a faucet pouring out of there and onto my kitchen table and then off my kitchen table and through my hardwood floors and into the basement. And so even in the basement where not much of the, the insulation got directly, there's water dripping everywhere. So there's not a single square inch of my house that wasn't in some way affected by this one event, by this, the tornado comes, the tree comes down, and just seconds later, there is chaos in every square inch of my house. I say all of that because a lot of you have been in my house. A lot of you were there like that night and some of you were there the next day helping clean up and all that stuff. I say like you guys saw what I'm talking about. The, it's how did insulation get here? There's no way. And the point that I'm trying to make is this is the gospel and, and the gospel is way more powerful than some tiny tornado. And it has to get into every single aspect, every single corner, square inch of our lives. And this morning, we're going to talk about the, we've talked about, my, my kitchen was maybe the, the, the gospel as it applies to uh, our hearts. And the, the living room is the gospel as it applies to this aspect. Now we're going to look into this room. And this room in our lives is community and what it means to, to live life in community. Um, I want to read a quote to you by a guy named Paul Tripp. Some of you guys heard a marriage conference that he did. He's fantastic. Uh, by the way, if you guys are Twitter people, follow Paul Tripp on Twitter. Every day, three awesome, really cool quotes that he does. So follow Paul Tripp on Twitter. He says this, uh, faith in Christ is not about knowing the truths of the gospel, which we'll talk about today, the truths of the gospel, but living them as well. It's pointless for us to know the truth of the gospel and not have it impact our lives and change the way we live. It's vital for us to come to grips with that. Uh, so what does it mean to truly 
commune with someone. The root of community is commune, to, to live life, to partake of life together. That's what it means to live life in community. We rely on people and ask people to rely upon us. Uh, there's a, a song Bob Dylan wrote. It says, may you always do for others and let others do for you. This is, that's a great phrase for us to, just a quick, simple phrase for us to understand what it means to live in community. May you always do for others and let others do for you. But, so I want to spend a couple of times thinking about before we get into the heart. We'll be in Philippians, so if you want to turn to Philippians 2, we'll get there in, in just a couple of minutes. Uh, I want to do some more setup. Why is community important? Why is it so important? A few things. Um, first, community is a tool that God uses to bring about discipleship. Uh, I want to give you three examples uh, of how God has used community to bring about discipleship. This week, there was a, a, a really, really good friend of mine who, who texted me on uh, Tuesday evening and said, can we hang out? I got some stuff I want to talk to you about. Sure, yeah, let's do it. Where at? Well, let's meet at Starbucks about 9 o'clock. Okay, great. So we meet, we meet there at Starbucks, sitting on the outside of Starbucks, and he said, I've, I've done a couple of things today and in recent weeks that just I know are not right. I'm really wrestling, really struggling with, with how I could willfully break the heart of God. And willf- I, I, I knew I was driving to a place where I knew I was going to do something that I, I shouldn't do. And he's thinking through this, the, the volition of sin is that I, there was a point on Tuesday afternoon where I decided to go to this place and I knew that when I was going there I was going to sin I was going to break the heart of God and, and what does that say about me and, and how, how does that can I even still be a Christian when I've decided to go and sin and we talked through the will of that and, and he, what he said to me in the text was I just really need you to reset my vision and I said, okay, let's go and hang out and talk. So we talked for like an hour and a half that night and then went to talk to some people that he had, he had hurt later on that night. And, and where we came to was that God is a, a, a massive God and his love is a massive thing and he can cause repentance, he can cause redemption to happen. And even this, this grotesque thing that he did was redeemed by God and so many people were affected in the, the immediate and, and coming days following this. And the, the thing is, is that without community in this guy's life, none of this stuff happens. And, and I, I want to say, this is hugely important. You say, I, I say this all the time from day one of North Church. I've been using the word community over and over and over and over and over again. Because it is absolutely important. Because for me, in my experience, the single, the, this, this is the single most important tool that God has used to shape my character. The second most important tool that God has used to shape my character is people and relationships and community. And God uses community as a tool. And not just community like, hey, how you doing? Let's go grab some dinner. But, hey, how you doing? Like that conversation I was talking about, the deep abiding, communing fellowship, relationship with people. And, and I think if you've been a part of this church very long, you have experienced that. The second thing community does is, is that it, it is a, a vehicle that God uses to rebuke sin in our lives. 
God uses community as a tool to rebuke sin in our lives. People see sin in you, and you see sin in people, and we can root sin out. Sin can be rooted out as a result of community. The third thing, and this is probably, for me, a beautiful experience of the value of community. Um, Every day for like nine or ten days after the tornado hit our house, and, and it's it's, it's, a, it's a difficult time. It's an emotional, hard time. But every single day, about 7.15, Dave Kuntz, who's in with our kids, uh, the other pastor here, said to me, or texted me and my wife, just two or three simple verses about the provision and beauty of God. And, and in a time, and for us, the hardest part about this has been uh, trying to figure out where my clothes are. Like, it's 7 o'clock in the morning. I'm trying to get the kids ready for school, and I got to go to work, and all I have is our jeans, and I can't wear jeans to work, and all these, and, and there's just stress. Getting the kids to school on time, and we, at that point, we were living like 40 minutes away with my parents temporarily, and just a stressful moment. And then God used the tool of community through Dave to, to make me aware of his presence in my life. And through the form of, of a text. And, and I can't tell you the, the value that that was to have the truth of Scripture ringing in my head in the moment where all I wanted to do was crawl back into bed and sleep for the next six months. But God used community as a tool to change us. Uh, there's also some, some indirect ways that community is, brings about discipleship. Some of you... Uh, have been, my, my neighbor is a guy named Jim, and Jim, I said at the beginning of the tree split, and half it hit my house, half it hit his house. And he uh, doesn't have many, many people hanging out at his house, and th- that Friday night there were people in my place, and next Saturday morning like at 7.30, Vince got there like at 7.30 that next morning helping people take trees off of houses, and, and then a lot of you were there with chainsaws tearing stuff out and, and taking my stuff away and all that. And we got so, such stuff done so quickly that people just started moving up and down the street. And I can, I can tell you absolutely that I and my wife have had conversations with Jim, my neighbor, who I don't, I don't know his spiritual condition, but I do know this, that he said with tears in his eyes in my front yard, why do these people that you know love you so much to come and serve all the time? Why do they do that? And that's a tool of discipleship in my heart that I get to share. There's, it's, it's Jesus. That's why. And he's like, that just doesn't make sense to me. And then there's a lady who's in charge of our, uh, the, the contents in our house. And most of the stuff has been destroyed by the, the insulation, the water, and all that stuff. And most of it's been destroyed. And, and she came in, and there's nothing in my, the main floor of my house. How did that happen? What happened? Well, we have these friends who came over the next day, and, and they rented a U-Haul and, and took it to an off-site place that this, these other people let us store our stuff there. Why? Well, let me tell you why. Jesus. It's what we do. That's how we do life. That's just baffling. That's just baffling to people. But the beautiful part is that God has used your community in my life to affect two people he would one that you might have met and one that you definitely would never have met. God uses community 
as a tool, and it's vital for us to fully understand so that its usefulness as a tool can, can be to its fullest extent. Community is also a vehicle to express virtue. Why is community important? Because it's a vehicle to express virtue. I want to, I this is something that uh, Ben Summers, the guy who spoke last week, gave his testimony, kind of shared with me, is that without community, there are no virtues. If you are isolated, you can never know what love is. You understand? With, without community, you can never know what selflessness is. You don't have no ability. So in order to experience and feel and know virtue, you've got to be in community. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing. Two weeks after the tornado hit, the Friday night, two weeks after it hit, there were thousands of people in the city of Ferguson Five restaurants were given 20% of the total bill uh, for, for everything they did on, on Friday to tornado relief all over the city. And there were thousands of people. We went to the, to the brew house in Ferguson that Friday night, and we waited 45 minutes to get a table because there were just so many people. And there's a concert in a little courtyard across the street. Thousands of people there. That is the picture of community. And we have the image of God in us, so we want to respond We want to live in community. It's a a God-placed thing. Eight days after the the tornado hit, there were people, the, the, the next Saturday, a week after the next Saturday, there were people in my backyard cutting trees down because the insurance company had, had sent people to get the trees off of my house, and then they hauled away what they could. But the rest of the stuff in my backyard and my neighbor's backyard were left for us to get rid of. And so a bunch of people showed up, and, and I had a, a bunch of things to do that morning, so I got there about an hour after everybody did. And there's a, a, friend, a, a friend of mine's brother was there, our brother-in-law was there, and he was there with another guy, and, and this other guy that, that I had never seen before were walking back and forth. I'm like, how did you, why are you here? You know, why did you hear about this? Well, I heard uh, this friend of mine said that this friend of his brother's pastor had this issue going on in his house, and so he said, I can't really work a chainsaw, but I can carry trees, and so I decided to show up. And so I'm like, and he thought I was just some guy, like, helping too. I'm like, well, thank you. This is my house. <laughs> and, and then I find out there's, there's this other guy there that's, uh, that's, that's serving, and he's got his two teenage sons there, and, and I assumed that just like this guy that I just met, he was a friend of a friend of a friend or whatever. Turns out, no, he's just some dude from Wentzville who heard there was a tornado, and he came and found a house to, to serve in. And so I'll never, I don't even know this guy's name, and you guys who were there helping and starting the process probably don't know this guy's name, but you know who I'm talking about. And this is what, to experience virtue as a result of community from people that I will never, ever know. The day after this thing happened, there were probably half of the people in this, in this room today were in my living room moving stuff out while my wife and I cried and processed. And without that, I don't know what happens for us to be left there by ourselves, to, 
to handle this. I don't know what happens. I don't know. But Jen and I were able to sit on trees that were laying down in our front and backyard and just process and watch and bask in the, the value of community, the virtue of community. Then the night of, many of you guys know that Brianna was running down to the basement to, to try to get to safety when the tree came through. And it, Brianna's my 19-year-old daughter, and she got whacked in the head, like a baseball-sized knot on her head. She was in the ER for like three hours that night. And there were a bunch of guys in my house staying there to protect it. And there were a bunch of ladies making their way to my wife and, and to Brianna to serve. And, and I, I sprinted through this. We were in our Good Friday service. And I, I ran with Eric and, and Travis and Megan to the car and, and fast, fast as we can, Travis broke nine or ten laws on, on the way to my house. Uh, but this is the virtue of community. This is how you experience virtue. Absent of, of community, none of that virtuous stuff I get to experience and know. And I, I haven't talked to many of you about this, but I bet you experienced some virtue as you served us. It's beautiful. Community is also the foundation of our creation. Turn to, to Genesis. It's going to be on the screen if you don't feel like turning. Uh, Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. Community is at the foundation of our creation. And think about that phrase. Community is at the foundation of our creation. When we were created, it was for the sake of community. People have asked me a lot, how, how, and I've thought about a lot in these recent days about suffering. How can suffering exist? And we, we're so selfish in our thinking and how events affect us. But ultimately, at the foundation, the reason we were created is to be in community with God and with each other. The foundation of who we are. It's not so we can go out and be happy and have a glorious fantastic, wonderful life, is that God ordains and orchestrates events to get our attention off ourselves and onto Him and the fact that we were created to be in relationship with Him. You were not created to have a house that didn't have a tornado hit it. You were not created to have a body that never got stricken with cancer. You were not created for any of that stuff. You were created to be in relationship with God. Period. And in the heart of that, at the foundation of that, is community. Genesis 1, 26. Then God said, let us, the Trinity, make man, you and I, in our image, after our likeness. And let him have dominion over the fish in the sea, and over the birds in the heavens, and over the livestock, and over the earth, and every other creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Verse 27. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He created people together to live life in community. Skip over to chapter 2, verse 18. <clears throat> More of this stuff. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone. It is not good that the man should be alone. It is not good 
that you should be alone. It's not good. I will make a helper for him. It's not good to be alone, so God's going to give you people to live with, to be with, to connect with, to have community with, to remind you of him. Again, think back to all those stories, the tornado stuff, the the two weeks ago, the eight weeks after, the day after, the night of, all that stuff where we all got to experience the joy and beauty of community. And that drove us to God and allow us to speak things to people who do not know God about how God has changed who we are. It is not good for man to be alone. So, great, we need community. We need it deeply in so many ways. How do we live in community? How do we coexist together? How does this, the, the illustration of the, the trees hitting my house and coming down, how does that change who we are? How does it change how we live our lives? How does it help us coexist? Let's turn to Philippians chapter 2, where we'll, I'll try and go quick, uh, but you might have to bear with me. <clears throat> When you let me talk about community, you, you run the risk of me talking for a long time. Uh, Philippians 2 is Paul writing to a church in a city called Philippi who is having some struggle with this concept of community. How do we coexist together? So Paul writes this book, this letter, to tell them how to write, how to live in community. So let's dig into Philippians chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, I want to stop right there and and deal with with one phrase, encouragement in Christ. If there is any encouragement in Christ. Encouragement is a Greek word named called periklesis. And that word means consoling, exhortation, entreaty, to call for help, to comfort or silence. If there is any comfort that you get, peace that you have. This is, if there is anything that you receive that brings you peace and comfort from being in Christ. And in, this is, so many times we, we pass over words that, that look little and don't seem to mean much. In is one of those words. It's just a simple preposition. Does it really bring anything? Yes, it does. The Greek connotation here is deep. It means a fixed position in place, time, or state. A fixed position. Not a movable position, but a fixed position. If you receive comfort, peace, security from your fixed position in Christ, and this is the gospel who Christ is and what he did, the gospel, who Christ is and what he did, the result of that is you and I live in a fixed position that brings peace and comfort and solace and that brings Jen and I sitting next to each other on a broken tree in our backyard crying because over here is a withered patch of grass where my son used to play baseball. And over here was where the, his trampoline got destroyed. And over here is, is where his, the swing set for my kids is just destroyed. 
the sort of solace that I experienced in that moment as a result of your work, if the fixed position in Christ affords us that, and breathe that in so deep, it's so beautiful, and it is the effect of community that God is calling us to. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, man, if we could just live there, any comfort from love, any partation, participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Moving on to, to verse 2. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, of the same love, being in full accord with one mind. This is, if the gospel affects you, this is how it should shake out in the way you treat people. What's, what's coming here in 2, 3, and 4? Because the gospel calls us to be selfless. In order for it to reach every recess of our lives, every square inch of who we are, the gospel calls us to be selfless. Verse 3. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourself. Three words, <coughs> three words in there that are important for us to connect with and understand. First is the word rivalry. And what rivalry, the, a, more, a better definition for us, a better word for this would be electioneering. You guys ever known electioneers? You go to vote and there's these people sitting outside with pamphlets as you're walking in there's like they can't be within like a hundred feet of the building where you're walking in and they hand you please vote for this guy and the pamphlets is a list of things why this guy's really good and why you should vote for him and maybe even something about his opponent and why his opponent's a, a moron and you shouldn't vote for him and you know you're really dumb if you vote for him and all this stuff this is the concept that's here do nothing out of electioneering and what that means is do nothing out of hey look at me look at how good i am but not just that. Look at how bad he is. Do nothing out of that sort of rivalry. This is how we live and operate in community. If you and I had rivalry, you would have not been at my house the next day. Do nothing out of electioneering. Don't act like an electioneer. And, and again, I, I want to reiterate, this is not just some, this is a, a study of Scripture. But the purpose of this study of Scripture is for us to understand how to live in community. And how to live in community is to not be an electioneer. It's also not to be conceited. When I think of conceited, I think of, you know, something you always said when you were in high school. that I don't want to be around that guy. He's too conceited. Or, or I don't want to be around. She's, that's conceited, like thinking about themselves. But this word is deeper than that. It's a groundless self-esteem. This is an extremely gospel-centric word. I want to say something here. I want you guys to pay close attention to this. Anything and everything that you are that's positive is a result in full of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Anything and everything that you are that's positive is a result of the gospel of Jesus Christ. A result of God-placed virtue in who you are. I think about this. I think about a seven-foot-tall basketball player getting really excited about the fact that he just dunked a basketball. Big freaking deal. 
You're seven feet tall. You didn't decide to be seven feet tall. But we act that way all the time in our lives. Hey, look at me. Look at what I did. No, you didn't. It's a result of God placing that inside of you. And anything apart from a full knowledge and understanding of virtue that's in your life being placed there by God is groundless self-esteem. And it has no place in real community. The only thing about you that's worth paying any attention to was given to you by God. The only thing about you that's worth paying any attention to was given to you by God. The third word for us to understand about being selfless is humility. Real, real simple here. It's, it's, Paul writes the definition here. But in humility, count others more significant than yourself. This one is really hard for us. To count others more significant than, our, than ourselves. But we should also not just be selfless, but have the attitude of Christ. Skip down to verse 5. Have this mind among yourselves. Mind among yourselves is attitude. That's what attitude means. Which is yours in Christ Jesus. Again, there's our N word in Christ Jesus. The fixed position that we have in Christ. We have the opportunity and ability and authority to claim the attitude of Christ because of our fixed position in him. Verse 6. Who is Though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he made himself nothing, taking on the form of a servant, and being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Talk a little bit about attitude. And uh, the, a good definition that I found of attitude is it is the thing that paints our response to circumstances in our lives. A bad attitude, somebody, if you have a bad attitude, somebody can come with you with good news, you're going to respond poorly. (coughs) A good attitude, somebody can come to you with bad news, you're going to respond favorably. It's just the thing that paints our response to circumstances in life. You follow that? And our attitude, the thing that paints the way we respond to life, should be the attitude of Christ. Okay, so what is the attitude of Christ? First, he did not cling to his rights. The New Living Translation is a translation that I don't like much, but I love the way it translates verse 6. It says, Who being in very nature God, did not cling to his rights as God. He didn't cling to his rights as God. I want to ask you a couple of questions here. What rights or authorities do you hang on to? This is where you, you start, I'm helping you slap yourself around a little bit. What rights or authorities do you think you have that you cling to and hang on to? I'm not going to show up at Rick and Jen's yard because I just don't really feel like doing that. I, I, I've got, I'm busy with this. I'm, I, I, I want to do these. And, or, or maybe I'm a little too good to do that. Or, or I've, there's too much for me to do, so I'm, I'm, I'm not going to show up there. What rights or authorities do you cling to? Who do you expect to serve you? This is Christ, the attitude of Christ we're trying to have. And he did not cling to his rights as God. His right as God was to command us to serve him. But what did he do? He left heaven to come and serve us. Who do you expect to serve you? Flip it around. 
The answer to that question, you got, I hope you just answered in your head, God is calling you to serve that person. If you are to have the attitude of Christ, you are serving those who are expected to serve you. Real simple thing. What do you, how, do you, how do you treat the fireman in your, your neighborhood? How do you treat the mailman in your neighborhood? How do you treat the police in your neighborhood? How, how well do you tip when you go to a restaurant? Those are maybe superficial things, but that's people that it's their job to serve you. How do you serve them? The second attribute of Christ's attitude. He made himself nothing. He made himself a servant. A gospel-affected life thinks nothing of itself. And again, don't be self-focused here. Be Christ-focused. Look at what Christ did. did he, was he thinking of himself when he left heaven to come as a baby born in a manger? Was he thinking of himself when he sacrificed in the desert for 40 days when he fasted? Was he thinking of himself when he went to the cross willingly and died? He made himself nothing. Instead, he made himself a servant. This is how community is built. When we think not of ourselves, but instead think of other people. There are at least four people that have been in my backyard in the last two weeks that I have no idea who they are. I don't know their names. I have no way of ever paying them back. Because I don't know who they are. God is calling us to serve as Christ served. And that is the path to community. And that is the gospel lived out in our lives. The grace of Jesus Christ has to change everything about who we are. Then the last thing is very simple. He was humble and obedient. Maybe when I was talking about your firemen, your policemen, how you tip and all those things, Maybe God was calling you to, to let go of something and humble yourself in that way. Maybe God was calling you some other way to be obedient to who he is. But ultimately, the path to the gospel in our lives, in the area of community, is to lay down who we are just like Christ did. And the ultimate there is to be humble and obedient. So what is Christ calling, what is God calling you to do to be humble and to be obedient? And don't walk out this door thinking, hey, great, thanks. It's cool to hear some of those tornado stories. Walk out this door thinking, this area of my life is how God is calling me to have the attitude of Christ being humble and obedient and serving people, not clinging to my rights. This specific area. If you don't walk out of that door with something in mind, I want to leave you with one statement. The gospel in life in community says, because of the grace Jesus displayed on the cross, I will be selfless and have the attitude of Jesus. The gospel in life in community says, because of the grace of Jesus displayed on the cross, I will be selfless and have the attitude of Jesus. Let's pray. God, you are mighty and you are awesome, and I am so grateful that you have shown me 
through the destruction of my home, the beauty of community, the beauty of the gospel, the beauty of what you've called us to. God, I I pray now that you would guide us as we respond to you, respond to what you've said to us this morning. Guide us as we respond. Allow us to connect with the heart of Jesus and have the attitude and mind of Christ. We thank you for suffering that in the end produces endurance, that produces character, that produces hope. Because hope can never disappoint because it leads us to you. God, thank you so much for Jesus. God, may we chase after him. And may our desire to be disciples be greater than our fleshly desires. And may it change everything. Thank you for Jesus. It's in his name. Amen.